You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome back to Earth Station Trek, a podcast where we talk about Star Trek from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everything in between. I'm Charles Kelso, and it's my privilege to introduce my fellow hosts, Keith Johnson. Hello, everyone. Alan Seiler. What's up? And Veronica Daschle. Hey. And today I'm going to start off with a bold claim and say that we are talking about arguably the greatest supporting character in science fiction television. Agreed. Whoa. And, wow, that's, like that's a big statement. That. It is. I said arguably, <laughs> which is the you point. May hear, you may hear BDBDBD BD, BD for Tweaky to complain about that. <laughs> but, and as you might guess, we're talking about Nog today from Deep Space Nine. Um, but it's hard for me to think of another character who was not a member of the main cast and went on the journey that that character went on and had the level of growth that character had over the seven seasons. Just yeah. really the character growth. Is- from a from an, an, an illiterate pickpocket and bad influence on the main character's son to <laughs> an officer in Starfleet, a war veteran, a survivor of PTSD. It's just an, an amazing journey they took that character on. And I looked it up and out of the 170 odd episodes of Deep Space Nine, Aaron Eisenberg appeared in 47 of them, mm-hmm. which is less than half. Yeah. Which is just an amazing feat. Opinions. Nog is probably one of my favorite characters on DS9. Um, as you guys know, I like Fringy quite a lot. Um, but, <laughs> and watching watching <laughs> Nog change, Rom changed kind of between the first episode and the second and third episode a little bit. Um, but none of the other Fringy really had a, a growth and change that Nog did, which I really, I really enjoyed. Well, I think Rom changed in the way that a lot of Star Trek characters change and just that they become more of who they are as the show goes along. The more you see them, the more they sort of see what works for the character and do a little bit more of that wharf, I'd say, is more wharf by the end than he was at the beginning of, of, of TNG, I mean. But it's hard to think of a character that had the journey that Nog had. And so what we're doing today is just talking about that journey. So I wonder, what was your impression of Nog when the show debuted? Very little. I mean, he's he's not really a factor, you know. He is, as you say, a, a, a petty thief, you know. He just, I mean, it was an interesting concept, and it was an interesting um, it was an interesting um, addition to the uh, Ferengi family unit that we are going to, over the course of seven years, come to absolutely love. Um, but it really. I think mainly it was there to give Deep Space Nine the the, the station, the seedy underworld, like, you know, dark underbelly of society kind of feel that they wanted it to have. And I think for that, he was fantastic. Mm. Keith, you're quiet. Yeah, well, That's I, unusual. Was like, <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I thought I was thinking it was very interesting. I thought Alan's response was incredibly perfect, which was, what is your first thought about Nog? And I think the answer was very little. And it wasn't that you disliked him or you loved him. He was kind of a non-entity. Mm. And, you know, if you think about it, when especially when you look at the Ferengi, 
you know, um, there's a there's a term I'm going to use tonight that we, we're going to use probably forever when we podcast. And you know that term, which is monoculture. Mm. And Lord of the Ferengia monoculture. And when Nog first came up to your, like you said, he was he was just there. He was somebody to be um, a companion for Jake because you had a, a teenager on the show. And there was a there's a couple of good episodes that deal with how Cisco is looking at Jake hanging with Nog. And I've had I've listened to people debate about Cisco's initial attitude toward Nog was really weird for one, a Star Trek Federation officer and two, frankly, for a black man. Because there are some people who said Cisco was almost prejudiced toward Nog. He literally mm. said, "He literally said, I don't want you hanging around with him." Yeah, and he even to said something to the effect of, "He's a Ferengi," and it was he was basically stereotyping Nog. Yeah. At first, the best thing you thought Nog was going to be was almost like um like somebody to just get Jake in trouble every now and then, and maybe just a really crass, basic, abject lesson for Cisco about his own prejudices. And then later on, to your point, very slowly, he became a little more than that and a little more than that. And I remember when he wanted to join Starfleet, I thought, eh, this is a gimmick. They're just writing a gimmick because they're trying to put a strange character in Starfleet. <laughs> and it worked. And what I like about Nog is at the end of the show, like you guys were like you were just saying, he became, you know, they become more what they are. Nog is still a fringy. Because there's some of my favorite episodes. Nog is still bartering. Nog is still trading. You know, he's still um, he's still a Ferengi with his love of capitalism. He's still very good at that. He's still trying to make women chew up his grub worms for him. You know, he's still, <laughs> <laughs> even at the academy. But he grew, and I think what I love about him is he's still a Ferengi, but he is not so much one-dimensional as so many other races mm-hmm. are, especially mm-hmm. all the other Ferengi, for that matter. So yeah, he became a surprise. My wife even said that. When they were just watching it, and she goes, "I really like him," and I think that was a great testimony for a character like that. Yeah, I was rewatching some of the uh, very first DS9 episodes, um, actually the first three last night, and Nog was the reason that Cisco got Cork to stay and keep the bar, um, and Nog was like one of what two students initially in Keiko's school, yes. and and. And um, when his dad made him quit and Jake was all like, nope, we're not going to do this. You're going to learn because you want to learn and you're going to learn to read. Mm. So it's interesting, too. uh, You know, we were talking about other Ferengi characters and growth. And I think that uh, Rom went through a lot of growth over the seven years. And if you recall, it was he didn't want Nog to be in a human school. You know, so there was and when you see. Uh, Rom toward the end of the series, he is a completely different person. And it's not, you know, it's not a matter of inconsistent writing. It's not a matter of, you know, the, the showrunners didn't know what direction they wanted to go. It's, it's believable, well-plotted growth. Mm. And I think that, well, a blanket statement is that Deep Space Nine is one of the greatest television shows for character growth and um, and believable, well-rounded, well-rounded characters. And I, you know, I mean, they have an enormous cast. You know, they have a huge number of recurring guest characters, and every single character is dealt with in a realistic, believable, and 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 a really smart and well-developed way. And I think it's incredible. Yeah, I remember. Uh, I think it was uh, the things we left behind. The Yes. documentary they said they had 47 reoccurring casts yes mm-hmm. yes and regularly like, and I, reoccurring and yeah. i think and i did a count one time and if i remember rightly 27 of those are in the final episode 
<laughs> 27 recurring characters. That is unbelievable. I mean, we're talking Klingons and, and Ferengi and Bajorans. And, you know, they had a, a really, you know, the, the complaint about Deep Space Nine early on was that it's stationary. It doesn't go anywhere. You know, they're just sitting back waiting for adventure to come to them. But the thing that it that it really it's its strength is that it gave it the opportunity. First of all, it doesn't go into a situation, resolve it in 45 minutes and then hustle off to the next location and not deal with the ramifications of that. Their actions in that episode. Everything is developed Mm. over the course of seven years. It's it's uh, stationary was its strength, I think. And um and I think that that gave it the ability to build this enormous guest cast. And that was why they, they developed those characters so incredibly well. You know, there are episodes where Cisco's barely in it. Right. And the episode is carried by, I mean, there are whole episodes that are carried by secondary mm-hmm. or recurring characters. And that's unbelievable. How, because every character is so strong and so well-defined. Like little green men. Like Little Green Men. <laughs> that is, okay, we'll talk about that. Well, later, Little Green Men at least had um, Armin Shimmerman right yes. up front. And he's he was a main cast member. But I think of something like It's Only a Paper Moon. Yes. Which, I mean, Vic Fontaine and Nog are the stars oh. of that episode. Yes. Right. How, how many other shows would you see where someone who's not even a main cast member, I mean, they're having to pay him extra to be there. He's not under contract. <laughs> that, And that they, will give, they will give him that type of material and let him just carry an episode. And right. I think I think they were really smart up front by not casting a kid as Nog. They lucked out in find in finding Aaron Eisenberg, who was a bit older than um Sirach Lofton was. Yeah, nine but, years. Yeah, but he's small. And yeah. uh, I heard here at Sirach Lofton saying that he was shocked the first time he saw Aaron out of makeup. He's like, Oh, you're an adult. Because <laughs> he had no idea. <laughs> but he was able to bring so much to that character from the jump with a kid actor, it's um hmm. You're sort of taking your best shot, but there's no there's no guarantee that a kid actor is going to grow up to be a good actor. Mm. Uh, where Aaron Eisenberg was from the beginning, and maybe he jumped out to me more because I was 12 when Deep Space Nine started, and I used to get the little they they used to release these little books that were sort of kid books of the Jake and Nog adventures. I remember those, yeah. And I was able to get Aaron Eisenberg to sign one at Dragon Con for me one year, which he did <laughs> oh, for that's free. So cool. He wouldn't take my money because I didn't get a picture. I just wanted him to sign my book. Oh, uh, which he was. I've I've met him twice, and he was fantastic each time. Um, but when you watch Deep Space Nine, you're right. The characters grow so much, and you feel like you've lived there with these people for yeah. the, all these years because they go through life changes. They change as people. You know, some shows you watch the early episodes and the characters are a little weird and you feel like, like you said, Alan, they just haven't figured them out yet. But it's such a delight to go back and watch early Deep Space Nine and and just see everyone at the start of their journey. Everyone. So we when we when we meet Nog, like I said, he's a, an illiterate pickpocket. Um, <laughs> we were watching the one last night where Cisco, you know, Chief O'Brien actually came to Cisco and said, you need to keep your son away from that boy. Yes. Um, <laughs> And he tried, but then discovered that that Jake was teaching Nog how to read, which I, I thought that was a nice little twist for the character when in the episode Nagus, when they forbade him from going to the school, which he always acted like he hated being at the school anyway. Right. And that's really the first time I remember that you see that he actually enjoyed going. Yeah. That he, he, he liked going to school and he liked learning. Yeah. And I think that was your that was the first glimpse into 
this guy is is more than you think he is. Mm. You know, it was yeah. the one that that first showed uh, an extra dimension to him. And I find that very interesting to your point about more than you think he is, because when you look at the controversies around the school, the Bajorans had problems with the school. Mm-hmm. And of course, the Ferengi had problems with the school. Of course, Quark and Rom, like we talked about change. Remember when Rom was mean and and, and uh, assertive in like the first two or three episodes? Yeah, he's sort of generic Ferengi at first. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He, was yeah. Real, he was mean and gruff and did he turn into comic relief, which was cool. <laughs> but uh, to your point, I found, I think it's very interesting because as far as Rom at the time and Quark were concerned, all Nog needed to learn how to do was finance and cheat mm-hmm. people basically mm-hmm. worry about uh, you know money and then if you look at people like uh when at the time and some of the more conservative bajorans they all they were worried about was the school better teach the universe the way we want it to be taught mm-hmm. as in you better teach that the prophets are gods and i think that was very interesting was nog saw something and, may, and jake may have taken it for granted because he comes from the federation mm. and nog saw something i think it was nog was interested he was he was thinking there's a different world out here beyond my father beyond my uncle beyond my beyond this station and so where other people were either disinterested or threatened by these other weight schools of thought it fired something in nog which i think mm. paid off later on when he wants to learn join starfeet and what i also find interesting about that is sometimes sometimes when you look at characters in Star Trek or something, sometimes you kind of wonder if they're almost ashamed of what they are. I, I mm. think a personal struggle I had with for years was Belana Torres on Voyager because she was ashamed of being part Klingon. And sometimes some characters are almost ashamed of what they are. But again, with Nog, which I think is cool, Nog is 100% a Ferengi. He's proud yeah. to be a Ferengi, but he wants to go to Starfleet, not because he thinks the Federation is quote unquote, you know, better than his people, but it affords him opportunity he's not getting in the Ferengi Federation. And I think mm. that's a great character. He remains true to being a Ferengi. He's just become a different kind of Ferengi. I love that about him. Yeah, and in the episode, there were, you know, O'Brien and Cisco were worried about the influence that Nog was having on Jake, but they didn't take into consideration the influence that Jake was having on Nog. And that's really the the payoff at the end. You see that it's not a one way street, that he's he's being a positive influence on Nog and and helping him to become more than than what he would uh, was allowed to be by his culture. And if I may, what I also like about what Nog did is I think that Nog's character with Jake made Jake a better character. And it also made it it crafted what I think is still probably one of probably the best personal relationship in all of Star Trek, which is um, Cisco and Jake. Because mm-hmm. I remember thinking, because remember, Cisco was ready to tear Jake a new one. And when he <laughs> sneaked in there and he saw them, and then later on, he just grabs Jake and he kisses him. And Jake's like, Dad. <laughs> and he right. doesn't tell him why, but he just kisses him. And I love that went throughout the series. I love that relationship between Ben Cisco and his son. He kissed mm-hmm. his son. He and his, uh, Ben and his father and Ben and Jake, they told each other, I love you, which was just kind of rare for men, mm-hmm. and especially for black men at that time. But that was because Ben learned a lesson from Jake with Nog. And I thought it was such, it's a, such a beautiful scene. I love that scene. And then later on, he realizes Nog's, Nog's okay. <laughs> so Veron- Veronica, um, we all know how much you love Ferengi. So I want to know what it is that, that sort of like drew you to Ferengi and what role Nog played in that. Um, I think it's just that they're just hilarious. And I'm, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm naturally, I mean, like Chuck, um, I'm naturally drawn to people with a sense of humor. I'm not saying you look like a Ferengi. And short and bald. <laughs> <laughs> but um, 
it's just their sense of humor and especially with Quark, his um, very dry uh, sense of humor and um, their exceptionally strange customs with um, women being clothed is weird and wrong and you can't look at them when they have clothes on and very um, weird uh females having to put fake lobes on to pretend to be males to get to go out in the world and uh that kind of stuff you didn't see that quite so much from the other races a lot of the other races the male and female were equal Mm -hmm. yeah i don't remember anybody telling the woman to chew their food up for her i thought that was really (laughs) weird now to your point i want to tell you sometimes that would get a little cringy when they would go home and tell your mom, mom, take your clothes off. You know, <laughs> Moogie, you can't be wearing clothes around me. Yeah, that would get a little cringy, but I, I see your point. So, Veronica, do you think to the point, do you think that at the end of the, when it was over, was Nog still, quote unquote, a Ferengi? Was oh, yeah. He was he just, un, was he weird as a Ferengi? I mean, he was probably weird for a typical Ferengi, but mm-hmm. I feel like the the basic Ferengi-ness, the, um, the, the want of acquiring wealth um probably for him not only transferred from wealth but knowledge right uh as well even so when he went off to starfleet he still you know was selling off his his boyhood (laughs) possessions and before that though i love the scene where he approaches cisco to tell him that he wants to be in starfleet and cisco even though he's known Nong for years thinks it's a scam of some kind you know he assigns him to inventory the cargo bay and he, mm-hmm. he finds things that they missed in their inventory because that's that's his skill set is mm-hmm. you know doing inventory and you know he's been working in his uncle's store probably since he could walk or his uncle's you know bar but that we've seen several times you know that sort of uh detail-oriented analytical approach is something that ex- the fringy excel at so i i love that bit where he he showed that he just because he's a fringy doesn't mean he doesn't have something to offer you know, the first task Cisco assigns him when he wants to join Starfleet and he kills it. He does better right. than the, the trained Starfleet officers do. Yeah, it also right. brings to mind with uh, Quark and the Klingons when he was uh, marrying into the house. In and House I've, of Quark? Yeah. yeah. House of Quark. Yes. But he's taking him through the 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 um the financial <laughs> records of that house. <laughs> oh, wow, that is. They are that so confused. They're just like, okay, sure, whatever. <laughs> yeah, they're just like they're just saying, can we just fight? And to your point, what was funny about that is, didn't he bring Cisco money at first? He was trying yes. to bring him land. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So again, I mean, and there's more than once in the series later on where he will make a statement as in, I may be Starfleet, but I'm still a Ferengi. I mean, he still mm-hmm. says that because he still has that that other side of him, which I think is great. Well, and and that's one of the one of the reasons that I love Little Green Men so much. I, I love that episode anyway because it's brilliant and it's hilarious. And there are a million reasons why I love that episode. But one of the great things about it is um, it. I counted it out one time, and it's like right toward the middle of season four, which makes it almost the halfway point of the entire mm-hmm. ser- series. And uh, you have that moment where. Uh, Nog is going off to uh, uh, go to Starfleet Academy, and along the way, they discover, you know, that that Quark is running some kind of scam deal or whatever. And uh, Nog is like, you know, Uncle, I should uh, turn you in for this, but since I'm not been sworn in yet, you can cut me in for ten percent. <laughs> so he's he's it shows him in that transitional moment in his life where he. <laughs> is fully embracing and becoming Federation, but he is still 
fully Ferengi as well and still has that mindset. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I love that line. Also yeah. love the line when he's studying the history book. It's, it always makes me laugh. It's when he's studying the history book that the, he was given. Yeah. And he's reading about the Bell riots. And I love that line. He goes, I was reading about Gabriel Bell. He looks like Captain Sisko. <laughs> it was such a great <laughs> one. <laughs> you know, uh, in, the, in the documentary, uh, they spend a lot of time uh, sort of like the writer's room developing on the spot pitches for what uh, they, they would have done with season eight had there been a season mm. eight. Mm-hmm. And Nog is commanding the uh, uh, Defiant. Mm. I think it would have been really interesting to, uh, as a further growth for that character, to see him as a captain um, and using that sort of Ferengi mindset in a captaincy rather than, you know, because we saw a number of episodes in the series where he's helping Jake, you know, turn some deals in order to get presents for people, his father, you know, and he helps um, Chief O'Brien get uh, equipment that he needs by turning all these business deals and all this kind of stuff. So he shows his business acumen. It would have been really cool to see him apply that sort of thinking to a captaincy, to like a, you know, you get into a, a, a really tough situation and that's how you think your way out of it. That would have been fascinating. And who better to negotiate a treaty or right. something along right. those lines than a, right. you know, be a supreme negotiator for Starfleet. Right. Yeah, I, I think literally. that he, he showed over the course of the show that he has a lot of skills, you know, from just his upbringing and, mm-hmm. and what he's good at that that really add to Starfleet. He really has a lot to bring to it. Going back to Little Green Men, he's the one when um the, the army sort of turns on the Ferengi and, and starts to torture him. He's the one that gets them out of the situation mm. because he thinks his way out of that predicament. And it's not his first time talking himself out of a sticky <laughs> position with the authorities. Right, right. That's a sure. He was doing that the first time we met him. Exactly. <laughs> Except it was Odo. <laughs> Hello everyone, Dr. Geek here with a shout out to all the scientists who worked tirelessly to bring a COVID-19 vaccine into reality. (laughs) Let's face it, creating something of this magnitude is a miracle worthy of Dr. McCoy himself. And now, Dr. Geek needs you to do your part. Remember, each shot is one small step back to normal, one giant leap to putting the pandemic behind us. We can do this. For more information, visit vaccines.gov to find your nearest provider. Attention, people of Earth! Looking for a way to kill half an hour every week? Try the Flopcast! It's a silly podcast about cartoons, music, comics, movies, obscure pop culture from the 70s and 80s, and chickens. (laughs) Join us! Bring coffee! We're on the ESO network. And we're at Flopcast.net. So what do y'all think, because um, as you said, Aaron, Aaron Eisenberg was nine years older than Ciroc Lofton. He obviously he had, um, he had what, um, kidney problems. I think he only had mm. one functioning kidney, which is uh, he was born with kidney problems. And the reason he was so small is because uh, he always he was kind of like uh, the late Gary Coleman, mm. who had liver problems. And um, 
Eisenberg had kidney problems. He had, I believe, two kidney transplants in his life. He had one just a couple of years before he died. And it's because he had those kidney problems that caused him to be so small. And I also wonder if he had kind of an almost a, a gentleness about him. Mm-hmm. He was, he was, he, he had a gentleness about, almost a tenderness about him. That's, that's not probably the right word. And I wonder if his mortality, thinking about his life and you know what he was dealing with, I wonder if that made him the character he was. Because what do you think about his like real life personality did he bring to that role that another actor might not have been able to bring to that role? Because I think a lot of that was him, not what they wrote on the page. What I met him two times, mm-hmm. once at Dragon Con, when, like I said, he he refused to take my money for the autograph and just signed well, my book for me. Very and, and considering that's what he's there for at Dragon Con is to yeah. make money. That's their their job there, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was, was just really cool of him. And then we met him at Treklanta, uh, mm-hmm. and he was just super nice to us. And that was just a few months before he passed. But I think that mm-hmm. he, he definitely had a kindness that comes through a lot. A lot of the Fringy can come across as sort of sharp, sort of, right. you know, mean spirited, but I don't right. think even when Nog was being very Fringy and for instance, demanding that his date chew his food, I don't think he came across as, as no. mean spirited. He's he, he, if not anything else would seem more confused as to why is not she chewing my food? You know? <laughs> yeah. Right. right. She, should be fl- she should be flattered. I'm asking her to chew my food. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think he had a lightness to his portrayal that um that I, I do I think reflect what he was dealing with in life because he was I remember I read an interview with him once and he w- he had said he said you know given the conditions I've I, I what I've dealt with in my life every day was a blessing and he literally he he said because of his condition because he was so much smaller than people his age he said that when he got a job he was always amazed mm. and he would go I can't believe this and he said. Every morning he woke up and he thought, this is incredible that I get to act for a living. And I think that kind of enthusiasm and, and kind of lust for life, it really showed through in his character. Because like mm-hmm. you said, he wasn't, he wasn't mean-spirited. He wasn't mm-hmm. cynical. Um, he was just, he was a good person. And I find it fascinating that somebody that much older would be able to play the character for somebody that much younger. Because Sirach Lofton, although he was very tall, he absolutely looked like a kid. He looked mm-hmm. like a teenager. Yes. But they somehow made that work, which I think is amazing. Well, they had a great chemistry, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and that that helps tremendously. Mm-hmm. We we could have lost the character though, because when 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 Wesley Crusher went off to Starfleet, he made one or two trips back, and that was it. Right. Um, but with Nog, you know, it's a, a I think it's Homefront. Maybe the next time we see him when they go to Earth again, mm-hmm. um, and we find him sort of desperate to fit in at Starfleet, trying yeah. to impress Red Squad. What did you think about his 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 appearance there the first time we saw him as a cadet? I liked it. I um I thought it was it was good because they didn't sugarcoat the fact that he was going to have trouble fitting in. And if mm. you think about it, if you go to any kind of institution, uh, it's going to be bad enough when you're a new person. I mean, they're they're gonna they're gonna give you grief about that. It was completely different that he was a Ferengi. And again, we're talking the Federation, but he was the first Ferengi. It's not like he was a Vulcan. It's not like he's a Bolian. It's not like he's an Andorian, anything like that. Um, he's a Ferengi. And that is just not something that I'm sure people expected to see. I'm sure a lot of the women had a problem with him. They're like, oh, no, 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 a Ferengi. I'm sure he made some faux pas <laughs> <laughs> while he was there. And I thought that just showed the, the dedication that he had 
And the fact that he was going to work hard to join Red, Red Squad, I think, was also very interesting. It showed that you know this wasn't a game for him. And if I may, real quickly, one little piece of trivia about that. You made, you made a very interesting point there where you said that we could have lost him. When the writing team, the creators, told Aaron Eisenberg that his character was going to Starfleet, mm. he freaked out. Yeah. And he had a major, he had a major panic attack because he said, oh, no, they're writing me out of the script. Mm. And he was positive that was it. He was positive he was going to go away and he would come back here and there. And then they said, yeah, later on, he said, uh, and then he realized they were going to bring him back. And then he thought, wow, this is great. And so, and that really accelerated his growth arc. But I can just imagine what he thought because he thought, oh, I'm, that's it. I'm done. You know, I'm, I'm not going to be on the show anymore. Yeah, you can. Um, I was looking at all the episodes that he was in season one and two. It's like three episodes, mm-hmm. three or four episodes that he's in season three. He has like six. But then like after that, he has like five or more or he's in almost every episode of the season after that. Right. Yeah, he, he, they really turned it on. Sorry, turn your expectations on his on your head, because after he leaves the station, he comes back and is in more episodes <laughs> than, than, than he was before. And I, I loved seeing him return as the young cadet. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you get that extra viewpoint on the bridge. You would never would have seen Nog on the bridge before he went off to the Academy. Right, you know, right. he just wouldn't have been there, but being able to have that perspective on the bridge and it almost developed into kind of a mentorly relationship with chief O'Brien. Mm-hmm. Yes. I remember a lot of, a lot of scenes where chief O'Brien is sort of, all right, cadet, you know, Maybe because he's the one character Chief O'Brien outranks, but <laughs> <laughs> but it's, I, I love that juxtaposition between the the sort of the old veteran and then the young cadet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had a great characters. I remember one time they get ready to go off the battle, and O'Brien's going, "Where's the dang? Where's the damn face coupler? Where's the damn Anodyne sister?" And then Nog says something like, "It's in the damn whatever." And O'Brien goes, "Watch your mouth." <laughs> <laughs> um, before we get too far away from. Uh, Jake and Nog mm-hmm. um, and talking about their relationship. I, th- I, th- I think it's really, really interesting that they paired Jake up with another character of roughly his same age, which is something that they never did with Wesley. Right. And I think that that makes a huge difference in how that character is portrayed and how it's sort of accepted by the audience. You know, Wesley was constantly the sort of the outsider. Yeah. You know, he was the one who didn't really fit in with his peers. He didn't fit in with the other officers because of his age. He was sort of stuck in his own little world. And it's cool that DS9 gave Jake that, you know, that extra, that extra sort of level where he had a place, he had someone he could hang out with and could go to and could just be a kid with. And that's Mm. something they never gave Wesley. And I think it's a fantastic thing that DS9 did. Yeah, and they, and and they allowed them to grow up together on this. Yeah, show. exactly. And you get to see them both becoming young men, um, and taking paths that you wouldn't have expected. There was an expectation sort of early on that Jake was going to go into Starfleet, yeah. and showed that he had no interest or aptitude for being in Starfleet, which I thought it was really interesting that it was Nog who did because you would you wouldn't have expected that that Jake yeah. wanted nothing to do with it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that all culminated in the famous odd couple episode <laughs> with their roommates. <laughs> yeah. 
where they're completely like dogs jumping up at five o'clock in the morning and telling Jake, we're going to work out. We're going to turn the lights out at 10 o'clock at night. And oh, by the way, Jake, I read your story and re and uh, edited it while you were away because. <laughs> With punctuation, grammatical errors. Yeah. Or Nog would say like, Nog would say something to affect up. I just left the room and came back. How is it possible? It's this, it's uh this, this, uh you know, it, you got all this stuff lying around that quickly. I just walked out of there. I thought that was really great too. Also, when we talk about relationships, I also loved his relationship with his father. It was a, it, that was a really good relationship too. That he loved his father, and I loved back what you guys were mentioning when he went to Cisco about joining Starfleet. I love what he said because that's a very tough thing to pull off. It was, I'm not ashamed of my father, but I see that he didn't become the man he could have been. Mm. Remember, he said that my father is a mechanical genius, and. I think this before was Rom even an engineer at that point working for O'Brien when he left. Uh, he might have been. Was he an engineer yet when Rom when um? I don't remember Ron if he joined the the little Bajoran engineering group yet. <laughs> right. But he was always fixing things. He was always yeah being he's, he's the one that looked over Quark. Quark ship and little green men exactly. Right. And I thought that was fascinating. They just showed, but he really he loved his father, and it wasn't he was ashamed of his father, but he realized that their society took somebody like his father, whose whose focus wasn't money and capitalism. I mean, you know, they tell that that backstory that Nog's mother was uh, mm -hmm. what she left Rom because Rom wasn't a quote unquote good Ferengi. And and it just there's such a there's a there's a tenderness there that Rom loves Nog the same way Ben Cisco loves Jake, but Rom's in a society where it doesn't work like that. And you right. can't get away yeah. with it on the same thing. And so I thought it was in a way Nog was joining Starfleet for his father. Mm. And I, I think, you know, going on to the other thing, I am so happy with what happened to Rom toward the end of that because he finally did find his fulfillment as well. <laughs> and it's funny because Quark acts like Rom got a got shafted. He got swindled because she <laughs> she she got the money and he got the kid. When, exactly. You know, that's that's <laughs> what Rom wanted, right? You know, as far as Rom's concerned, he got the, the better end of that deal. Mm -hmm. Um right. but it it they remind me of an immigrant family. Mm-hmm where you know that sort of first generation american or wherever but americans what i'm familiar with overachievers you know the they yeah. still have the, the culture of the old country and then the the parents really working for the betterment of their kids just to give them every opportunity that they can they they have some of that vibe of you know that, like i said that immigrant family that came over from the old country just to start mm -hmm. a new life they really seem like they're you know coming towards the federation in, in, in much the same way Right. That's an interesting point. I had never thought of that before. I hadn't either. That is a very, that's that is a that's very smart insight. Well, yeah. thank you. That's staying in. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I liked what they did with Nog as well during the Dominion War. When you, uh, particularly his, um, what interactions he had with Martok. If you remember that mm -hmm. that scene yes. where he's trying to work up the nerve the whole episode to stand up to Martok. Yes. Um, yes which was just a, del a delightful scene. And I think Martok thought it was cute more than anything, but had to, <laughs> you know, begrudgingly gave him the respect that he was <laughs> willing to stand up to the Klingon general um, being, you know, a five foot tall Ferengi. <laughs> it says Veronica says she like humor for what, what, um, what, what you just said there. I guess you must love the scene where Nog is just waiting for the Klingons to get louder and waiting and waiting. <laughs> and he says, when the noise hits a certain number of decibels, that's it. 
And then he's getting ready to attack them and he falls down. <laughs> he falls out of his chair and the Klingons start laughing at him. And, and Jake is like, this is not going to work, dog. I mean, he looks like such a, and to your point, he's, they're not even threatened by him. They're not even, they're not even pissed off enough to like want to kill him. They're just laughing at him at that point in time. Yeah. But he, he doesn't give up. Yep. There are some shades of House of Quark again in that, with that situation where Quark found himself mm-hmm. standing up to Klingons in that episode. Right. I right. think Quark, I think Nog may have more Quark in him than he would want to admit. Yeah, yeah. I think if Quark had been growing up under different circumstances, I think he might have made a great Starfleet officer. Yeah, absolutely. But Nog is influenced by both of them. He has he has Rom's heart. Mm-hmm. He has Rom's intelligence. They're both industrious. You know, Rom and Quark are both industrious in different ways, but you're right. But he got he got Quark's toughness and Quark's feringiness, and he melds them better. He's he's the sum of the best of both of those guys. And I yeah, that, that's, yeah. A, that's a great point. Yeah. That's a great point. Because I, I to, to the interactions, I, I to your point there, I love his interactions with Quark because Quark is forever going. Like the one episode, um, if we talk about what the siege of AR AR five five eight. Five eight eight. One of the things that Cork is saying over and over throughout the series is, "I don't understand this. Why mm-hmm. are you joining this federation? It's you know, it's one thing if I'm running a bar for them, but you're going to join them at a time of war. Why are you fighting for this?" And I love those interactions between them. Mm-hmm. Sometimes Cork is. Sometimes before we gets really bad, Cork is just shaking his head, bemused, like, "Okay, Ron, look what you did. You messed the kid up." And then as the <laughs> stakes get higher, as the war goes on, as now there's a, especially in the episode, as there's a really great chance that nog is going to die for the federation or for this cause quark is like i don't understand this but i think those those are some of the best interactions i've ever seen and i think in time he helps quark become a little better too because quark is all about fighting the influence of the federation and i think he helps quark as much as quark grows i think he helped quark grow as well (laughs) in understanding that Yeah, the the Siege of AR-558 and then Paper Moon or sort of that that one-two punch you get in Season 6 that's really defining for Nog. Oh, um, man. Where he loses the leg. And I like that they they have the technology where they just grow him a new leg. But he can tell it's not his leg, you know? Yeah. He he says it hurts and they say it doesn't. So he's walking with a cane and then retreats into the fantasy world of the holodeck. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's just a, it's a phenomenal episode, you know, um, dealing with that, you know, uh, the PTSD and, you know, a soldier who's come back from battle injured, but also, like I said, just giving a great showcase to him. He's not mm-hmm. just Quark's nephew in that episode or Jake's buddy. You know, you, you you let him be the star of the show for that episode. And I think that he carries it great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even in that episode, there was a lot of growth from when he first walked off the ship to uh, after being a while in the hollow suite and walking around without the cane, there was a, there was a, you could see a slow uh, progressive change just in that one episode. And you know, I think what, I think there is where Aaron Eisenberg's age, I think helped. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. You know, if you think about it, technically he's 18, 19 in the script, in the right. script, because he's Jake's age. In real life, he's 28, 29 going on 30. And mm. once he joined Starfleet, and like you said, in the siege of AR-558, when I, I just watched that yesterday, when he's lying after he's been wounded and Cisco walks up to him, he apologizes to Cisco. Yeah. He says, I'm sorry, sir. And man, I tell you that. And then the whole time, Cork is just 
pissed. Also, one of Quark's finest performances, as far as I'm concerned, in that mm. episode. That was a powerful episode. And I was watching Eisenberg do that, and there are some wonderful young actors. But I thought, I think being in his late 20s, an older man, allowed him to bring, I think, a gravitas to that role that maybe not every 17, 18, 19 year old actor could have brought to it. Oh, right. without a doubt. Yeah. Without like a doubt. It. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, fantastic. We and we sort of skipped over it, but um, another one we were wa- we we watched this week was Valiant. Oh, love it! Which is sort of builds upon what we see of Nog at Starfleet when he desperately wants to fit in and be one of them. And then he gets the opportunity to join this crew of young people, and you just made me think of that, Keith, because they were mm-hmm. all quite young. Yeah, yeah. And I th- I thought that he he carried himself very well in that episode. I thought that the character seemed to go through quite a lot of growth just in that episode as well, because. Yeah. You know, he he's happy to accept that this guy's the captain. We're all Starfleet officers. Now I'm going to be the chief engineer of this starship, and we're going <laughs> to go to war with the Dominion, you know, and yeah. then sort of has to face reality in that episode. That's, a, that's an episode we need to review because I love that episode. Mm. It, it, it gives Jake so much to do. It gives Nog so much to do. It, it says so much about sacrifice and being brainwashed, as it were. Right. Uh, yeah. I mm-hmm. love that one. So speaking of episodes, what would you? What are some of your favorite episodes with Nog? I mean, we keep we can list them because he has such great. One. What would you pull out? <laughs> it's like if you told somebody that here's a good Nog episode, or one you really love, what would it be for you? Ooh, if I was going to recommend it to someone else, I don't know. I was going to say Paper Moon, but I would not recommend someone to start watching. Yeah, you Nog can't with start with that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, was it in the cards when yes. he when he and Ah, yes. He and Jake were <laughs> trying to trying to get the the is that the self sealing stem stem yes. bolt one? It is it exactly is. right. Yeah. yeah, that that's, that's a the good one, one to start with. It's the it's what the Willie Mays baseball card. The whole point of that one was um, they they're on the eve of the Dominion War, and Jake wants to cheer his dad up, and they mm-hmm. just trade this for this for this for this. And isn't isn't that is that the one with the incredible um, soulless minions of orthodoxy? Is that the same <laughs> I think guy? So, yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah, because Wayne's in that one too. Yeah. So in the cards would be one. Well, I hate to go with one that we've already talked about, but uh, Siege of AR558 is one of the most powerful and most incredible episodes in the entire seven Mm. years. It is such an intense experience and it's shot like a war film. Right. Yes. And it does not feel like, and you know, when you really look at it, they're on a small sound stage with a limited number of actors. It doesn't feel like that. Right. It feels like it's a much, much bigger story. And I just, it is so, so good. It's just an incredible episode of any television series. Yeah, it's just great drama. It yeah. is. It really is. I think outside of, um, I think outside of Balance of Terror in the original series with the Romulans, yeah. I think D Space Nine shot the best battle episodes of all the Star Trek franchises. I mean, oh yeah, with the, yeah, the drama and out. the action, the, not just the you know the special effects and the fire. Right. To your to your point, uh, Alan, the drama in that episode. I mean, that's like watching 1940s war movies. It, it is right. yeah. so good. Uh, love that one. Yeah, and and like you said, they they don't have a huge budget or great resources mm-hmm. to do it. You have the same cave set everybody's got. You know, it's the same <laughs> cave that's been in you know every every other episode this season, but they they use it really well. Yes, yes, because yeah. it's all about the psychological drama. Yeah, yeah, and it's so powerful. It mm-hmm. really is. How about you, Veronica? What's a good an episode you love? I mean, we already discussed favorite DS9 episodes, but Little Green Men was my pick there. And I think <laughs> I'd have to yeah. 
I mean, it's a really fun one with with Nog and the other Ferengi, but also, um, and I'm very bad with episode names, um, the one where Nog uh, wants to join Starfleet and goes to Cisco. What's that one called? That was uh, Heart of Stone, right? Yeah, Heart of Stone. Yeah, Heart of yeah. Stone. That's it. Yeah, where you're like, oh, hey, this is more Ferengi, or not more Ferengi, but there's more to this Ferengi than you would normally see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he approaches it in a very Ferengi way. Yes. Right. That's true. <laughs> exactly. Okay, that's a good pick. So, ha- had the had the show continued, or had Nog been able to continue? I know that you mentioned in the Deep Space Nine documentary they actually talk about Nog would die as the captain of the Fine or be destroyed. Now, I guess we assume that he would die. Right. Um, and I know that oh, on that was from the Deep Space Nine documentary when the writers were breaking their uh, sort of fantasy season eight. It would start mm-hmm. now, and then Captain Nog would die in the beginning. And that's sort of what Man. brings everybody together, which, mm-hmm. you know, uh, yeah, I already I don't, don't want that to happen. And then in the novels, I know that he sort of continued on in a Chief O'Brien type role on Deep Space Nine in the, the novel first. But what would you have liked to see happen to Nog in the future? Hmm. I would. I would, you know, what I like I'd like the I'd like the Nog that we saw in um, The Visitor. Mm. Where this is the mm-hmm. episode for those where, long story short, Benjamin Cisco gets unstuck through time <laughs> and keeps appearing to Jake throughout subsequent years and years and years. And as Jake gets older, Ben Cisco keeps showing up and is not aging. And there's a scene where Jake is middle aged, maybe in his 40s or 50s, living, on, I think, in New Orleans back on Earth. Right. And Nog comes to visit him, and Nog is captain of a Starship, Starfleet vessel. Yeah. And that was so cool seeing him in that uniform and still kind of looking. It was the same character. So it was kind of funny that was still the same, you know, but that (laughs) I can't do that laugh. You know, the laugh that Nog does. I would have liked to see Nog been um, a starship captain to like what you guys were saying. I think for someone who is very good because he is a Ferengi, he's very good at knowing what people want. And that could have turned into making him an incredible negotiator. Mm. You know, actually, frankly, a really good diplomat because, you know, you're arguing over some planet of this sector. Nog is the kind before he would go into a, a different uh, before he would go into a situation, he would research everything on both sides. And he would probably say, hey, guys, you got a load of self-stealing stimples that you can sell to the other <laughs> side. Maybe this is not the war. Or, 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 you know, I could see him negotiating going Tula Berries. You ever thought about Tula Berries or something like that? <laughs> I would like to see more of the adventures of Nog as a, as a starship captain. Yeah. And then this is an incredibly cliched path, but... Because he changed so much, I would like at some point in time seeing him become an ambassador. Everybody in Star Trek becomes an ambassador. Yeah, I know that's, that's true. Yeah. That's Every, true. But I still would like to see him become an ambassador. Yeah, that was my thing too. I'd love, you know, <laughs> at some point in the distant future when uh, when Ferenginar joins the Federation, for him to be yeah. the 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 Federate you know, the Ferenginar mm-hmm. representative on the Federation Council or something as exactly. old man Nog, you know, looking more like Grand Negus Zek. <laughs> 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 That would be awesome. <laughs> right. <laughs> my my thoughts were literally exactly what Keith said. I wanted to see him. I want to see a series about Captain Nog going off mm-hmm. on adventures. Yeah. And then old man Nog um, presiding on the Federation Council. I think it'd be great. Um, one of the things that I love about Quark, you know, in Star Trek, there's this sort of tendency to humanize. Uh, you'll introduce an, an, an alien uh, whether it be a, a race or an individual, and 
they eventually become sort of humanized. Mm. Right. And the thing that I love about Quark is that he remains staunchly Ferengi. Yeah. He never becomes uh, like, you know, he never adopts human values. He never turns into, you know, making decisions the way a human would base their values and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas Nog sort of, you can see that he's on the path of walking a line between those two Mm -hmm. cultures. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really uh, fascinating angle. And I would like to have seen more of that in the future, Um, particularly uh, like I said before of him melding the two mindsets together to, sort of uh, operate within Starfleet in a way that no other Starfleet officer would have. Mm. Absolutely. Bringing yeah. his, his uniqueness to, to the role. Yeah. So right. rather than him joining Starfleet, despite being a Ferengi, but exactly. why being a Ferengi makes him a great Starfleet officer. Absolutely. Exactly. Which is also really to your point, and, and that, gosh, that's another episode I've written. It, that's another episode I'd love to do. There's a, there, even I have felt there's a bit of, um, there's a bit of an ethnocentricity to humans and the Federation sometimes in Star Trek. Yes. You know, Cork has said it sometimes. They're like this root beer. Sometimes they get on your nerves. <laughs> even I sometimes feel, even I sometimes feel that there's a little bit too much smugness about, well, if you just act like us humans, you'll be a better. <laughs> no, I am what I am. And I agree with you. Nog didn't become more human. He just joined a Federation whose goal is supposed to be a diversity of opinions that all meld together to make something better. So I agree with you. He's still a Ferengi. He's just learning other values, but that's what the Federation is about. Cause if you think about mm-hmm. it, the Vulcans have to learn to be less arrogant and judgmental when they join <laughs> arrogance, right? The Andorians need to learn to be less warlike and um, gosh, why am I blinking? What's the, the Tellarites? The Tellarites, I guess, learn to be less cranky. So the Federation <laughs> is supposed to meld everybody together and become, you know, cliche term. The Federation is supposed to be something that's greater than the sum of its parts. Mm-hmm. And so I think what you said is perfect, Alan. Yeah, when he joins the Federation, he's not rejecting Ferenginar. He's just becoming an even better Ferengi. And frankly, in time, the other Ferengi, between him and his dad, they're going to become better Ferengi. And Lord, if they let women do something, they'll probably be an unstoppable planet because it seems like <laughs> women are smarter than the men, from what I can tell. <laughs> yeah, I'd love for them to bring back the Ferengi in the 32nd century. Yes. And a matriarchy <laughs> or socialists or <laughs> something <laughs> yes. like that where, you know, keeping those sort of key personality traits of Ferengi, but taking it in a different direction. Right. And we saw the start of that at the end of DS9. So yeah. it's not impossible that it would evolve that way right. fully. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Especially right. over a thousand years. Talking about the, yeah. the rules of equity or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> socialist nice. Oh, that is great. Well, now, I, I did. You got to write that down. The rules of equity. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, since D Space, now, since uh, Discovery came up, they did give a, a, a Captain Nog or a, a Nog reference in it. Yeah. With a, you blink and you miss it, but if you freeze frame it, one of the 32nd century ships is the USS Nog. Yes. And they confirmed on Twitter that that's an Eisenberg class ship. Yes. So wow. I, I would like to have seen it more where I didn't have to pause it to, to read the, the name, but the, the USS Nog is out there. So there he's, he's remembered in the 32nd century at least. Absolutely. That's great. Do y'all know if, because I, I don't, I haven't read a lot of Star Trek novels. To your point about his future as a captain, do they say what else happens? Does he get married? Does he have a family or anything like that? Do you know what happens to him? Well, the, the, 
the regular novels didn't make it that far into his future. He was mm-hmm. on Deep Space Nine. Now, I would I would expect that they do novels and a lot of li- sort of lore involved with the Star Trek Online that takes mm-hmm. place like a hundred years later. So I feel confident that Aaron Eisenberg has been involved in that, and I I really don't know. I haven't followed Star Trek Online to see how much more they have developed Nog, but a lot of room to. Yeah, particularly novels would seem like the way to go now. But I hope that we get someone, some mention of him, on in the, in the thirty second century to give us an idea of of what became of Nog after we saw him on Deep Space Nine. That's cool. Yeah, that'd be a great idea. If anyone listening to this is is not familiar with Nog, definitely check out the episodes that that we listed. He's a he's a fantastic character, and this has been a fun discussion, guys. I, I Nog is one of my favorite characters. Uh, has been since I was a kid, and I I love what they did with him on the show. Um, did anyone else have any closing Nog ideas they wanted to throw out there before we go? I think it's funny that you said that, uh, Charles, about um, him being about your age because I was uh, I think I'm Aaron Eisenberg's age. So while you were a kid, when he appeared on Deep Space Nine, <laughs> I was, as they say, I was good and grown when he right. appeared on Deep Space Nine, <laughs> and he appealed to me at the same time. So I think that's that's an absolute testament to that, that absolutely uh, ability. But I think, that, like we were saying, I think that's an, an, a very important thing to me about Nog is, again, it's a, it's a very personal opinion, but every now and then I get a little frustrated with Star Trek when they make it seem like humanity is so perfect. You know, mm-hmm. you've got to be human. Even in the movie when they talked about human rights, remember they were, they were, they were ragging on the Federation mm-hmm. crew, everything's about you. And I think Nog is a great example of someone who was still a Ferengi. He yeah. just learned new things. He didn't become more of a human or anything like that. He was still a Ferengi. He just uh, he expanded, which is what the Federation's all about. Now, I would say not humanity is all about. That's what the Federation's all about. So I think Nog <laughs> was an absolutely great example of that. You can be true to yourself and you can learn new things and it doesn't diminish what you came from. Mm. Um, for a parting thought, I, um, I, I was uh, asked to write a chapter for a, a nonfiction anthology that's, I don't know if it's actually been announced by the publisher yet. It's coming up um, and I was supposed to write, I was supposed to pick an episode and write a, a chapter about it. And I picked, of course, Little Green Men. <laughs> and um, and I was like struggling with what angle to take to write about this episode that I love so much. And I pitched a couple of things and I wrote a complete chapter on one of those things and sent it to the editor. And he kept sending it back and saying, no, this isn't, this is good, but it's not what we want. It's not there's not a unique angle here. There's not, you know, he, they listed off a couple of things. And I was like, I just don't know what to do. And as I was working on a third or fourth draft, Aaron passed away. Mm. And I mean, devastating. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, it was so unexpected for those of us who were just fans who don't know him personally, but it was, it was just the hardest news to take. And that's when I decided to make that chapter about him and about his journey. And I am really excited for, and when I sent it in, he was, the editor was like, that's it. Hmm. So uh, I was, I'm very excited for that to come out. Um, In one of our future episodes, when that book is out, I will certainly announce it and (laughs) direct people where they can buy it. But for now, it's still on the horizon. Well, if people want to follow along with you for updates on on that book or other books, where can they follow you online? Uh, You can follow my publishing company, Cosmic Press, at uh, cosmicpress.com, K-O-Z-M-I-C, press.com. 
And what about you, Keith, if people uh, want to hear more of your thoughts? Uh, follow me on Facebook, follow me on Instagram, and follow me on all, pretty much all the ESO Facebook groups, even Earth, Earth Station Who. <laughs> <laughs> and where can they find us, Veronica? Uh, pretty much everywhere, mostly on Facebook, but uh, Twitter, Instagram, all that fun stuff. Felt nerdy. Yeah. Yep. Feltnerdy.com. All right. Well, this has been fun, guys, and we'll see everyone next time. Thank you for listening to Earth Station Trek. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a positive rating. You can also send us feedback at earthstationtrek at gmail.com. You can join in the fun on our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter. You can also visit us online at earthstationtrek.podbean.com. We'll see you next time. Live long and prosper. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.